0: Um, experience another one of the means of grace that we talked about this morning. And of course, the primary means of grace is when we turn to his words. So if you would, let's um, actually, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Acts this, mor- or this evening, the 16th chapter. But let me sort of give you a preface, um, tell you what we're going to do this evening as far as this meditation is concerned. We're going to be studying the book of Philippians. I know that I've promised that now for a couple of times, and, and, and we, it will actually happen. We are going to study Philippians. But I liked the way that Byron started out the, the, the hymn to D and telling us that that was a love song. Well, the book of Philippians, um, and we thank uh, Barry Cooper for this. Those of you who know uh, Barry Cooper, he... Uh, we we actually pulling a little bit from his um, uh, discipleship uh, uh, and now um, or was it discipleship uh, Christianity life explorer uh, right a uh, disciples explorer I knew there was an e in there someplace um, but nonetheless um, he, he defined this book as a love letter that Paul actually writes a love letter to the church at Philippians so what I thought that it would be a good idea for us to do, if this is a love letter, then we kind of want to know who Paul wrote it to. We usually concentrate just on Paul and who he is and what he was doing at the time. We're, we're going to do that. But what I'd like to do tonight is to lay the groundwork for this letter by introducing you, introducing us to some of the members of this church and and how it came about and how Paul came upon this body and how it was developed. I mean, we have a lot of information, actually, about the church of Philippi. So we're going to turn to his word before we get to Philippians, talking about the background of how this came about. And, of course, we have a marvelous resource for that in the book of Acts. But before I do that, before we get there, let me explain a little bit about the history of the place where the church is located. It's in Macedonia, and that's the northern aspect of Greece. In fact, why don't you let me do this? I'm going to uh, put a, um, uh, a map up there. We'll have a couple of maps that we show during this, but that's kind of a, of, of a map showing the various regions that were involved at the time of uh, Paul's second missionary voyage, which is what this is. But going way back before that, 359 BC, a man named Philip II began to he he rose and actually captured the throne of Macedonia. Very small part, really, not much more than the um, the size of Vermont. But Philip II began to expand his kingdom. He annexed some areas. Um, very wisely, he annexed an area where there was a massive gold mine. Uh, I don't know whether he knew it was there when he annexed it or the people allowed him to take it, but nonetheless, it made him a very rich king and allowed him to, um, to fund a, a quite a few military campaigns. So, so he kept expanding, expanding, and finally he took over the area where the city of Philippi is now located, and as you might imagine, he named it after himself. Um, the town that um, this church will be located in. Now, you you might not uh, know Philip the Second by name. Uh, he may not mean anything to you, but he has a very distinct place in history. Not so much because of who he was, but because of who his son was. His son was probably one of the most amazing military geniuses to have ever lived. In his 30s, he virtually conquered the world within 10 years, and he spread the Greek language, the Greek culture around the known world at that time. Now, at the time of Philip II, it's at the end of the Persian Empire, and this is about um, 80 years after, to put it in a biblical context, he came to the throne about 80 years after Nehemiah returned, the king of Persia allowed him to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We know that from the book of Nehemiah. We also know from the book of Daniel that there was a, procre- a progression of kings that would take over the world. Of course, the first was Babylon, the second was the medo Persian Empire, the third one was... Greek Empire, and who was the 30-year-old military genius who conquered the world within 10 years? Alexander the Great. So Philip of Philippi was the father of Alexander the Great. And of course, we know that Alexander the Great, as I said, spread the Greek language. Now, I want you to see how God works through um, not just Christians, not just his own people, but through pagans. Because when, when, uh, when uh, uh, um, Alexander the Great literally conquered the world, he was pushing against the doors of, of India when he mysteriously died as a young man. But nonetheless, the Greek language became the standard language of the entire known world. So what God was doing actually through military campaigns, through the establishment uh, of, of this country was paving the way for Paul. Because, you see, you can see all those different um, um, areas, different languages, different people groups. And if Paul had to learn a new language in every single one of those countries as he went on his missionary voyages, well, that would have been, you know, very time-consuming. When I go to Haiti, I've got to speak through a a, a translator. Uh, I I can't speak the language myself. But because of Philip's son, Alexander the Great, um, the whole world spoke the same language. And so, therefore, it just opened the the doors for the gospel to be spread throughout the the land when when Paul took uh, started his missionary um, um, voyages. Well, anyway, two hundred years later, after um, Philip II named the city um, Philippi, um, the uh, the Romans took over, and F- Philippi became a Roman. Um, colony. Now, this is important because it explains the, the, the tone within the city of Philippi when Paul was there. Um, there was actually a war that occurred about, the, the, about this time, um, and, and it occurred about 40, actually, B.C., and in this particular war, a, a man, a general named Octavian defeated another general whose name was mark antony and that general that was octavian was was catapulted to prominence and was renamed as caesar augustus the first of the great emperors of the roman empire and the very emperor who ordered the census that drove joseph and his pregnant wife, Mary, to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Again, you start to see the providence of God coming out in all of this. Well, that particular defeat by Mark Antony was part of the reason that ultimately he and his, well, shall we call her his girlfriend, uh, committed suicide. Anybody know who his girlfriend was? Cleopatra who um, they committed suicide together, and partially because of the battle that occurred in 40 B.C. around Philippi. Well, what is important about this Roman presence is after that battle, um, Caesar Augustus gave quite a bit of the land of the the area there to his Roman soldiers as, as a reward for their service in that war so therefore this became a very roman area they they were loyal to rome and what's even stranger is they were loyal to nero and and they buttered up to nero uh, and therefore when nero began to perch began to persecute christians they persecuted christians so the kind of persecution that paul's gonna gonna run into when he gets to philippi um, it was partially because they were completely Roman. They were all about Rome. Now, here's what I want to do. Turn to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And, and I'm just going to take you through, an entire chapter is dedicated to the establishment of the church at Philippi. So I want to take you through the process um, of, of how this came about how the church was established, because I think that this will help us when later on we start seeing this love letter that Paul has written. So we're going to actually start in the 36th verse of the 15th chapter as Paul and Barnabas begin to plot their second missionary voyage. It's about 50 or 51 AD by now. Paul's already been on one voyage. And now he begins to plot the second one. So look there in the 36th verse. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. You see, Paul wasn't just interested in winning converts. He was interested in planning churches. And, and, and that's a very important part of his ministry. And what we do when we expand is not just to, not just to win converts. That's important but to uh, see that they're raised, see that they're sanctified, see that they grow in Christ. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Of course, we know that he's the, the one that, uh, that that wrote the gospel um, that bears his name. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. John Mark had left them, and Paul <laughs> didn't forget it, and he didn't think he was worthy or capable to go on this particular trip. So there arose a very sharp agreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. Um, that's actually the island right there that's just off the coast, if you will, of Antioch where this is happening. And um, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Now, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, he's starting right here. Let me go ahead and, and just give you a show of, of the way that this is going to play out. Okay. Um, the mouse is going to be kind of hard to see, but let, 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 let me see if I can show you. You see right there, where the mouse is now, that's where Antioch is in Syria. Can you see the mouse? Again, it, it's very difficult. And, 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 and really, this is just for reference. I'm not going to go into it that much detail. Um, I, I am going to show you. In fact, I'll, I'll show you this that might help you, okay? Um, we'll take a look at this. Okay, this will show you Paul's um, uh, uh, second missionary voyage. He'll start out in um, Syria in Antioch right there. He's going to head north. Now he's going through Cilicia. That's where Derb and Lystra are. He's going to go north into Galatia. He's going to try to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit won't let him. He's going to end up in Troas, and that's where we're going to kind of pause after Troas, he's going to take off by boat, go across Samothrace into Neapolis, Neop- uh, and then to Philippi. Okay, better. All right, so you can you 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 can see that. Um, uh, unfortunately, these other maps um, are showing the regions as well as the land that is there. But nonetheless, let's go back here to chapter sixteen. Paul came also to Derb and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was probably converted by Paul on his first missionary voyage. um, But now he has grown into a a solid disciple, a good disciple. And Paul wanted to take him with him. Paul wanted, in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek he didn't circumcise him because he felt he needed to be circumcised from the book of galatians you of course know that but he circumcised him for the for the betterment of the ministry so that he would be able to minister to Jews who would have made that a stumbling block and would not have listened to him and plus we're told that they all knew his father now timothy's mother and grandmother were christians but his father was a greek And it seems like was somewhat antagonistic towards Christianity. But anyway, continuing on, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And what that refers to is that Jerusalem council where they said, Okay, we can bring Gentiles into the church, but make sure that they abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. And that was the the, the, the the message that Paul was delivering to all of these churches. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers. Now, starting in verse 6, we're going to turn our attention to Macedonia and how Paul ends up in Philippi. And they went through the region of Phrygia, Phrygia and I don't know how to pronounce that, but that seems to be pretty close to it. Um, I, I know that probably if there was anybody who actually knew how to pronounce all these names, they I'm butchering them like nobody's business. But nonetheless, it looks like that would be Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Okay, and when they had come to Mysia or Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, which is up north there. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. So Paul's very sensitive to how the Spirit is leading him on this missionary voyage. And then look in verse 10. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, uh, 8. So passing by Mysia, or Mycena, they were, went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, okay? So, Paul's in Troas. Now, Troas is, um, at that time, a thriving seaport. Um, A lot of commerce went through it. It's nothing but a ruin now. It's just south of where it is thought the ancient city of Troy was located. But nonetheless, they they stop a little bit in Troas. Now, does anyone notice something strange or uh, um, worth noting in verse 10? Anybody notice something in verse 10? And I'll read it to you. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Anybody notice? Change of pronouns. All of a sudden, it's we, right? What does that tell you? Luke joins the team now. Luke joins them in Troas. And for a while, you're going to see we and us through a lot of this in Philippi. And then all of a sudden, when they leave, it's going to be they again. And, uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But that tells us that Luke is with them. And that's one of the reasons we have such a rich picture of what went on in Philippi. So the first convert that we see is um, a a woman named Lydia. Look in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. That's that island that that we saw in Passover. And the following day to Neapolis. That is a word that just means new city. And there were quite a few Neapolises in uh, the Greek world, I am told. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Notice that he emphasizes that this is a very loyal Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, this is the Sabbath day, but it does not appear that Paul and Silas and now Luke and Timothy with them um, have gone to a synagogue because this is outside the gates. It is by a a river. It's the Gangetes River or Gangetes River. I can't pronounce it, but that's kind of what it is. Um, And there was a prayer meeting apparently going on by the river. And it appears at least there was a predominance there of women because, he says, we were talking to the women who were praying there by the river. And these are Gentile women, and they are worshiping Yahweh. Now, they represent a group of people that were absolutely key to the expansion of the the church, the kingdom, and that's a group that we call God-fearers. And the God-fearers were pagans, Gentiles, who were sick to death of the ridiculous mythology of the Greeks, sick to death of the, just the egregious immorality that went with all of their worship. It had become just a, a, a real um, a kind of an evil place. And so they gravitated towards the morality and the monotheism of Judaism, so everywhere Paul went, he would go to the Jews first, but then he would go to the god fearers because they were very open to hearing the gospel uh, they didn 't have the prejudices against it. so he finds these these women that are praying by the the, the river, um, and um, he goes and he begins to tell them about um, about Jesus notice um, on in verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. She was a God-fearer. Now, Thyatira, if you read Revelation, you know that's one of the seven churches. So there was a church in Thyatira. But she was an importer, it looks like, of purple goods, of purple fabrics. There was a shellfish, I am told, that lived in that area, and they harvested it, and in the throat of each of those shellfish, and don't ask me what a throat of a shellfish looks like, but there was a single drop of this purple dye, and so it was hugely expensive, but the Romans were crazy for it, it was absolutely their favorite color, it was the color of royalty, and so therefore, more than likely, Lydia is a very wealthy woman because she is importing this from her hometown of Theatra. That's where this purple trade took place. Now, just guessing, probably knowing the culture of the time, more than likely, um, she and her husband had a business in um, Theatra, then moved it to Philippi. Somewhere along the line, her husband seems to have died, and now she is the businesswoman. She is the one who is in charge of the business. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon them. So the first converts, the first group of the congregation of the church at Philippi is Lydia and her family, her household all came to know the Lord. Now this was a very pleasant experience for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke because a nice setting besides the river, a prayer meeting, God-fearers, they're looking for, they're wide open to the gospel and they accepted it and this woman who accepted it is is a woman of means more than likely. She obviously has a nice house, and so she, she doesn't impose upon them. She prevails upon them to come and stay at her house. So all of a sudden, not only is there a place for these missionaries to stay, but there's a place to meet. There, there's a home that probably the early church there could meet in. So a very pleasant, all the way around, positive way that the Lord started his church. Well, just to show us that it's not always positive, everything is going to turn around very quickly for Paul and Silas. Look in the 16th verse. And as we were going to the place of prayer, I imagine it would be the same one, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. An actual demon-possessed woman who had some kind of ability of divination, of telling the, the, the fortunes of people, witchcraft, if you will, But nonetheless, she was making her owners, she was a slave girl, making her owners a lot of money by doing this. So she followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that's actually not a bad thing for her to be saying, okay? You know, you would want that but you didn't want this woman doing it. <laughs> I mean, this is not the kind of person you want to be your advertiser because everyone knew that she was, uh, a, a, like, demon-possessed uh, and and involved with witchcraft. So it completely, um, you know, just delegitimized everything Paul and the rest of the the men were saying. So finally... Um, Paul had enough Um, and in the 18th verse and this she kept doing for many days Paul having become greatly annoyed turned and found and said to the spirit I command you in the name of Jesus Christ come out of her and it came out of her that very hour well really wonderful for the girl but not so good for her owners who were abusing her and making money and again remember that these are people very loyal to Nero and are are very willing to persecute um, both Jews and Christians. And so we read, But when her owners saw that her hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Very similar to the way that um, it was stated of Peter and and John and and, and others. This seems to be, and, and Stephen it seems to be the kind of way that they talk about Christian. These people are turning the world upside down, if, if you will. They're, they're making nothing but trouble for us. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And that, not that That's devastating. To be beaten with these rods, I mean, a whip can tear your flesh, but a rod can break your bones. Um, so they're beaten severely um, as, for, for doing this. And when they inf- had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Uh, and so there, there they are. Um, a, a long way from that peaceful river where the nice woman accepts Christ. Now they've been beaten severely and in their middle of a stinky jail in the middle of the night. So what are they doing? Are they whining about their situation? That's not what happens with these these guys. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Would you be singing hymns to God under that situation? Do you think that you would actually respond as these were just titans of the faith. They were such men, such in tune with the Lord. Well, nonetheless, they were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why would that... Prisoner. Why would the jailer want to kill himself? What? Yeah, he's responsible. What happens to people who fall to to, to Roman soldiers that fall asleep? They would wish that that would happen. That's not what would happen to him. They were crucified. But the only time that they would crucify a Roman was when a Roman soldier fell asleep on his watch. Okay, so he'd rather take his own life and, and die that way than to be crucified. So that's what, that's, that was the process. Of course, there's also the shame that would be involved with that. But nonetheless, he's about to take his own life, drew his sword, and Paul cried out with a loud voice. I'm in verse 28 now. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul, Paul and Silas, and he asks that eternal question. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Well, how did they get out of the middle of the prison into his house? Right? Very interesting. They're they're, they're not in the jail anymore. They're in the innermost parts of the jail. So obviously this jailer takes them out of the jail, takes them home, cleans their wombs and they're able to share the gospel with their whole household and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night washed their wombs and he was baptized at once he and all his family. Now those of you who are sticklers for immersion in baptism I just want to ask you this man is on the lamb he has taken prisoners out of the jail and took them home to his house. He's not going to be wandering around the streets at night, going to the river. Where do you think he baptized him? <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's there's the there's the die-hard um, um, answer for you. But nonetheless, um, he baptized him at once. Him and his whole family uh, were baptized. That means the entire house, servants. It means that the wife, the children. Babies, if they were there, all of the household is baptized um, at the same time. And so we have a second family that we know is entering the congregation of the church at Philippi uh, under completely different circumstances. We have one in, in, in the very top of the ladder and another one who is just a Roman soldier and his family, and they now become one body in the body of Christ as they uh, are the first converts in this um, in, in this new um, church. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. Now, I'm going to skip the next um, uh, segment a little bit, because what happens is they're, they're back in jail, and they... And the magistrates come to take them and, you know, they find out that they're Roman citizens and they kind of want to hush up and let them go. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. I'm a Roman citizen. You beat me, threw me in jail without um, a proper trial. I think you're going to have to come and apologize to me. Um, And so in verse 39, they came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now, notice that it's been they all the way through. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, so they departed. Paul and Silas departed. Um, We don't see, uh, uh, and from that point on, it follows the progression of Paul and Silas, but there's not any us or not any we, so... What does that tell you about the church at Philippi? It tells me that Luke stayed behind, that Luke is now there with these people, the brethren, the brothers, so obviously there's other people who are there, and there they are in the church at Philippi with Luke sort of as their evangelist, their historian, their gospel writer that is staying with them. So, that's how the church came about. Now, once again, we're going to see Paul on his third missionary voyage. He's not going to go back to Philippi. He leaves. On his third missionary voyage, he's going to go through Philippi on the way out, and then he's going to come back through Philippi on the way in. And in the 20th chapter, actually, in the 5th verse, we see this kind of phenomena happening again. Because all of a sudden, uh, we talk about the people who were with Paul in Philippi. In verse 5, we read, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So all of a sudden, Luke is back with this group. Now, let me finish this real quickly because we're running a little bit longer than I would like to. Let me um, kind of of wrap this up. Um, Paul is writing this letter while he is a prisoner in Rome, when he writes the letter to the Philippians. That's the basis. That's the groundwork of how the church was established. So it gives us just a little bit of an idea. But Acts introduces us to one more member of the church of Philippi. And then we'll kind of turn our attention. Well, actually, Acts doesn't. Actually, it's Philippians itself. But while Paul is in Rome in Rome and in prison, he receives a visitor from Philippi. It's Epaphroditus, who is the leader, apparently, of the church. And he brought with him a very healthy donation to help Paul in his need while He is in prison, Paul having every thought that he would get out of prison and be able to go and visit them. Um, But the letter and the information that he brings Paul while he's in prison is about what's going on in the church of Philippi. He brings all that information, and this actually is what sort of sparks Paul to write this letter, to write the letter to the Philippians. Now we don't know how long Epaphroditus stayed with Paul, but we know that it was more than likely a period of months because he was actually sent not just to bring the money; he was sent to minister to Paul and to um, keep him safe during these years and do, I mean during these months and do whatever was necessary. But Epaphroditus got sick and he almost died. We'll learn that when we actually get into Philippi or to Philippians, and Paul sent him back with the letter that he writes now Paul writes the letter to the Colossians to Philemon to the Ephesians all at the same time more than likely right here while he is in Rome Um, we know that Luke was with him uh, during the writing of Colossians and Philemon but he doesn't appear to be there in the book of Philippians so he apparently came and he left So the last thing that we learn before we turn to Philippians is that Paul sent Epaphroditus, who almost died, became very sick, but was considered, Paul considered to be a fellow um, soldier for the Lord's. And once again, we will get to that when we turn to Philippians. So that's the background. That's what we know about the church. And it was a church that Paul dearly loved. And that's the reason the tone of his letter is a tone of someone almost writing a love letter to a congregation that um, he's very comfortable with and misses greatly and dearly loves, okay? So that's the background, and I promise next time we meet, we will actually turn to the book of Philippians and begin to look our way through that. So let me pray, and I'll let you go. I'm sorry to keep you a little bit late, but that uh, sort of dragged on, Um, and... Well, we we are going to try to keep these um, these meditations as meditations and not sermons. So let's pray, Heavenly Father. As we um, break up and go home, thank you that you have given us this time together. Thank you for the instructions that you give us in the Book of Acts um, of the way that the Germinal Church actually worshipped and that we would worship you in this way and that you would be pleased with this worship, that we would be glorifying to you in our thoughts and in everything that we do. I thank you for the time that we've had. I thank you for the prayers that have been offered. I thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing. I thank you for the bond that you create within this body of Christ. We give you the glory. As for safe travel as the people go home, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.